Welcome to The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home, live inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. Well, this program today, I feel so very inspired as I do every week, but this week more than ever. First of all, it's Veterans Day weekend, and how can we possibly ever thank our veterans for all they have done, all they have sacrificed to make us the land of the free because of the brave. So happy Veterans Day. We salute each and every one of you and your families that have supported you uh, throughout that from time in memorial. We thank you. And also it's the anniversary, the fourth anniversary of this program, The Way Home with Laura Smith. I'm so grateful for that. Four years ago, we decided to launch it. I was still living in New York And ironically, during the time of COVID, they call it in 2020, I made the decision after four decades in New York to move to my home area, my where I was born in northern Indiana. And so it's all brought to you by the wonderful family and business of Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule. I'm so grateful to them. It's all because of Balance of Nature that I'm able to bring you the way home every week. So thank you to them for not only uh, this show, but also for creating a product that allows people to have 10 servings of pure fruits and vegetables every single day of your their lives. And it changes you nutritionally and Mentally and in so many ways, the Balance of Nature family has been a supporter of my programming, and I am a supporter of their product because it has changed my life and that of my family's and hopefully yours, too. You can get 35% off your first preferred order if you do order it by going to balanceofnature.com and putting my name, Laura, in the promo code. Please do so. When we come back, Abby Thomas is my guest. She just won a big award at the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, and I have a feeling she's going to take the world by storm. Her music's up, too. Don't go away. It's the way home. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, you know what? We're proud of being here from Michiana. It's um, a place that I moved back to after, oh my goodness, almost four decades, even more. And I am so grateful that I did moving from New York to Indiana, which is where I was born. It means a lot to me. It's the kind of thing you get. uh, Well, I don't know. It's just emotional for me when I think about it, that I've come back to where my family is. It's kind of like the show, The Way Home. And I have met so many incredible people. But when you hear about so many interesting, prolific and famous people coming from your area. It's very cool. And I love hearing about all the successes from people from our area. This is just for some reason, the crossroads of America here. A lot of great artists come out of here, the manufacturing that's done, just so many things. And uh, the other day I was reading an article and I really was almost fell off my chair. A local artist who lives in Goshen has just won Artist of the Year at the Josie Awards actually honor independent artists, okay? A lot of artists have are attached to labels and such, but the world that we live in now, um, electronically and digitally and everything else, a lot of artists are able to kind of start and kind of become big on their own. Well, Abby Thomas has done just that. She got the Artist of the Year at the Josie's, which just happened to be at the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville. I just, I got goosebumps even reading about it. Abby, thank you for 
joining us yeah, here. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's really, I mean, what I've watched the video where you heard your name being called right by one of the Oak Ridge boys. Yeah. You're standing on this stage at the Grand Ole Opry. What was that like for you? Like now that you're saying it out loud, I'm like getting choked up about it again because it, it, I was just sitting in the audience with my friends having a glass of wine, <laughs> enjoying the night because I had never even been in the building before. And the Opry is such an iconic like it just has such a big history. Like just being there was an honor. So, and you're there when, drinking your wine, thinking, I was just oh, a great just, time. <laughs> I wonder who's going to win this one. Yeah, and and then William Lee Golden said my name, and I I uh, immediately had a big lump in my throat. I knew I had to get up on stage because it was one of the last awards that they announced of the night. So I had seen you know the rotation of everyone like getting their name announced. They go up on stage, they go backstage, like it's a whole thing. And then he said my name, and I was just. I was absolutely floored. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, we always, when we hear about people, we're like, oh, they're an overnight sensation from one day to the next. They're at the Grand Ole Opry and winning these awards. But overnight sensation is really a misnomer because it takes a lot more than an overnight. You've probably been working at your music for years as an independent artist. Tell us a little bit about your trajectory. Yeah. So I... Uh, I went to my very first open mic in, it was actually in Goshen where I'm, where I live right now, um, in December of 2018. Um, but to even get to that point was about a four year process. So I'm, my nature is very shy, Uh ironically. Really? Um, That is ironic. So I just love writing music and I love to sing, but, and I've always done it on my own, in my own home. Um, when I was younger, I played in church and all that stuff and was in the high school choir, but I never really pursued music because I didn't know it was an option. Um, I just assumed, you know, you have to be Britney Spears and have a big record label to ever do anything in music, which isn't true anymore, which is great. Um, so I had a friend that heard me sing a cover song. I think it was in 2014 or 15. Turned out his brother was a booking agent and he had taken a video of me singing a cover song um, at a photography conference. Um And then it took him that long to get me to go to an open mic. Um, But I I think I got really lucky because Goshen's a very, um, it's an awesome arts town. And everyone there is very supportive and encouraging. And they support the fact that if you get up in front of somebody, like that matters. Because that's really hard to do. If you Mm -hmm. get up to sing or get up in front of people and speak or share your art, it's hard. Um, And I got lucky and was in the right room at the right time. And now have a really great support system from from that that group of people. And did you go up as a solo? You play yeah. guitar and piano. Yeah. Um, you play music by ear, which yeah. I always find that to be like, what does it take to be so gifted that you're just born with this knack of being able to hear something in your mind or your heart and then just kind of bring it forth without reading music? Yeah. Um, that's a that's a unique thing. What's think, that all I think about? So, because I have friends that that learned the traditional way and I just play by ear but and and luckily like myself and my backing band we can meet in the middle because I have some traditionally trained musicians in my backing band Mm -hmm. and they work really hard to teach me like the right lingo so I can communicate (laughs) yes and um, because there it is a language barrier when you are not traditionally trained yeah if someone's asking for a d minor you're like uh Mm -hmm. okay yeah so I've got to sing that for me yeah so I've got the basics down now and and because piano was my first instrument, like, that's very helpful. Um, mm-hmm. It's easier to explain things for me. Like, 
hey, Simon, my piano player, can you play it like this? And I can show him, and it's this note. He's like, oh, yeah, you're in this key. And so he he's kind of my translator um, for the band or when we go play with other musicians and stuff. Right. But I'm getting better at it. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And and I've, I've seen a lot of videos, and your band looks wonderful. You have this violinist who's with yeah. you almost all the time. Yeah. Who is that? Uh, Caitlin Faust. She's from South Bend. Uh-huh. Um, and she actually saw me play at an early open mic. And honestly, I think, I feel like my whole career is, I've been in the right place at the right time and met the right people uh-huh. that have pushed me to like that next level. Um, and it just keeps snowballing, if that makes right. sense. And she's meant one to, of those people. Kind of meant to be. And, you yeah. know, I think a lot of people, artists especially, you know, when it's like you're born for that and it's just timing. And like Goethe said, the poet and philosopher, like when you commit to an idea, the universe sort of does yeah. its work to support you in that and yeah. make sure that it comes to fruition. And so probably once in your mind, you decided, I really want to, because you did have a place, you were mm-hmm. working full time in like a totally day, yeah. like a total day job right yeah. before COVID. Yeah. Then you had let go. Mm-hmm. And that's when you said, ah, I think I want to do music. It's, yeah. So I, I had done photography. It was the only job I ever had. Um, I had a fine art studio, and but then I hurt my spine and I couldn't physically carry the gear anymore. Um, so I got I got lucky and I got a full time corporate job uh, in Goshen where I was a creative manager. So I basically managed anything visual on the marketing side for that company. It was a great job. I had health benefits and. I was getting myself healthy again with my physical recovery and then COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone's world came crashing down at that point. So it wasn't just me. Mm -hmm. Um, But for some reason, I had been living my life in a very like fearful way and just going for the the best bet. Like, how am I going to pay my bills? Right. Um, you know, how am I going to contribute to my family and like all that stuff. Right. And you were pregnant at the time, and I was correct? seven months pregnant when I got laid off. Yeah. yeah. I was remodeling my house and the second floor didn't have drywall and I got laid off. And I basically had my, my parents and my husband and his family helped me finish my house as fast as I could so I could sell it because I was going to go bankrupt very quickly being pregnant. Uh huh. Yeah, because I wasn't going to be able to work. So how do you, when you're going through something as tumultuous as that and frightening as you've said how do you get to a place where you you go i mean most people would say okay i need to get in the even more secure type of job but you decided <laughs> i'm going to be a full-time musician yeah, yeah. so what I, was it like a revelation did you wake up one morning and go i can't do that anymore i have to do this kind of um i had been playing just as a hobby for i think it was a year and a half at that point and um when I delivered my daughter, so when she was born, it was that day. Um, I just, I had, I literally had been living my life in a very fearful way. Like when I say that, it was, that's an understatement. Um, I was afraid of failure with anything in life. Mm-hmm. And when she was born, for some reason, that, that thing in my brain that said, don't do this because you're going to fail was gone. Like uh-huh. I had no reservations about anything anymore. I knew it mattered. What mattered was that I have this little family of mine. I have my husband. I have my daughter. I want her to grow up not being afraid to fail. Mm. And then I wasn't afraid to sing in front of people anymore because I was still working through stage fright issues mm-hmm. and shyness and, mm-hmm. co- and confidence issues. 
But as soon as she was born, I just, I felt like a totally different Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I always used to say that too when I had my daughter. It was like everything comes into focus. It did. Everything becomes clear and truth. It feels like truth is everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like if you can get through that, because it's not easy, we all know, childbirth, just the mere (laughs) sheer act of Making a baby is not easy. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But that's just wonderful. And I'm so happy for you that it's like with the birth of her became almost your own rebirth in a sense for, for what your purpose felt like it was. And now you're being totally recognized for it, but you've done it in the less traditional way. Mm -hmm. And I would say the way that a lot of people are going now, my daughter's electronic musician. She was always like, mom, I don't, I don't want an agent. I don't want, you know, I just, I want to do things because then, then you're tied to ways that they've always, however, Mm -hmm. when you do get to a certain level, as you seem to be going now, I mean, you're getting awards, you're starting to open for, you just opened for Clint Black, crying out loud. (laughs) Yeah. And girl named Tom, also Goshen affiliated. They went to Goshen college. Um, but they're huge international stars. Now Mm -hmm. you're starting to open for these people. Now you're going to start, you're start doing your own shows, especially with your artist of the year award female multi-genre category at the Josie's in Nashville just you know a couple weeks ago or was it a couple weeks ago it was last Sunday yeah like not even nine days ago maybe yeah Yeah. so you're still probably like walking around in a daze right just trying to figure out what's going on yeah yeah (laughs) well I would imagine though you're you are at a level now where you are going to have interest from managers and agents are you interested in going that route? Um, I'm definitely interested in having a booking agent, mm-hmm. possibly a manager. Um, I, I've seen some that do both, mm-hmm. which would be great. Yes. Um, I don't think I have any interest in a record deal or partnering with a label. Right. Um, you lose you lose a lot of your creative freedom when you do that. Right. And even so far, like right now, I work really hard. I work a lot of hours. I do all of my own booking and marketing and press it's a lot. I know you answered my email. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I, I, I thought, well, I'll probably hear from, back from, you know, yeah. somebody in her in her group. And, <laughs> and it was you. You were like, hi, it's me, Abby. And I'm like, wow, good for you. But then I thought with a three year old, because Penny's yeah. three now, right? Yeah, she's three. That's how do you fit it all in? You don't. It's been really difficult. And it is. I won't lie. Like, it's hard on my family. It's hard on, on, on my marriage. Um, we've gotten this far and I've gotten lucky that. Um, my husband's family is from Goshen, and so I have three grandparents that help watch her when mm-hmm. our work schedules don't jive with each other. Um, my parents are from Crawfordsville. They drive up every once in a while, but they're older, so it's getting harder on them. So, And Penny's getting closer to school age, so I personally, for my work-life balance, would love help, just not with a label. Gotcha. So yeah. booking... Uh, booking and press and yes yeah. i'm learning this week press is a lot Pr- press is a lot <laughs> i tell well that's how i found you I, yeah. I i got uh i think wndu came up in my facebook feed or something and the article was there about you yeah press is big but you know what i have a feeling you know someone hearing this right now is going to say that's a project i'd like to take on abby thomas <laughs> is really going places but we're so grateful that you you're also doing something here and in fact uh, this Saturday, yeah, just coming right up now, I know that you've got uh, a wonderful EP that you are videotaping. So basically a concert that you're videotaping yeah. for an extended play. And, and it's going to be at Ignition Garage. Yes. I don't know if there's any tickets left. There's two seats. And then I believe there's lots of general admission. So up until this point, I've played a lot solo. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and j- the band has come on in the last year and a half. So I have um, a, I have a very diverse audience where like it's all age ranges. And so like part of my audience, they would love to sit down in, at a listening room concert, which I've done a lot of those mm-hmm. and listen to the lyrics and, and hi- find the stories of the songs and all that stuff. And then I have this other part that's starting to come along since the band's getting a little bit bigger that they want to dance. And the, uh, and, uh-huh. and that's kind of what we're going for with our shows is kind of a hybrid of like we're here to have a good time and dance and laugh and also cry because we're going to play some really tough songs yes. in the middle of the set. And so we figured half the room will be seated, half will be standing. So there'll be space for anybody Perfect. that wants to enjoy that concert. Your music yeah. is beautiful and it's very lyric driven, mm-hmm. but with your beautiful literally like a mellifluous voice it's a little bit country but it's got some soul in there i would say a little bit of jazz a little Mm -hmm. bit of Mm r&b like you really you talk about hybrid like you really bring in all these you pull from these wonderful genres and it just makes you unique it makes your sound unique but it also fits in just about anywhere (laughs) um i think anybody that loves country or loves r&b or loves jazz everyone's going to get something from your music and just your beautiful energy when you're up there so that that'll be fun and you can go to ignition garages website uh to get tickets that's how i got them i've got the three sitting sitting chairs i'm I'm a little (laughs) but then again i will get up and dance good good. if everybody else is i'm getting up there too we're hoping to turn this into a little bit of a party like a celebration because we haven't played in goshen in two years Uh uh-huh and the last group of musicians I had play with me two years ago is not the same group I have now. So I had to up, I had to get full time musicians last year because uh-huh. things were changing. Um, so this is a different group than anyone in in my hometown has heard before, and it's great. Oh, it's fun, exciting. Yeah. And, and then and then just one more thing to add here before we close. I could talk to you all day because just I love. Your story, you're a storyteller. It's very clear. <laughs> and that's what makes your music so rich. And people fall in love with that because everybody, I think people can f- hear their own stories within other people's oh, stories. Yeah. And I think your music does that. You're actually doing something with the Elkhart Symphony and the South Bend Symphony Orchestra String Quartet. Oh, I did that earlier this year. Oh, you did it earlier yeah. this year. What was yeah. that? I mean, you talk um, about bringing in a whole other genre. Know, right. So I am actually very heavily inspired by film scores. And so last year, I think it was in 2022, the conductor for the Elkhart Symphony reached out and asked if I would compose four to five songs for their 75th anniversary concert, which was this past May, which is an absolute dream come true. Like, who gets to write for a symphony? (gasps) And then again, I don't read music. So I had this dream job pop up for, for my career, and then I had to figure out how to do it. So I had to utilize technology for it. But it was a really, really fun and stressful experience. <laughs> is that anywhere? Is there a video of that? No, but, con- but yeah. we did have um, the week leading up to the concert filmed for a documentary. So eventually people will get to hear some of the concert. Fantastic. Um, it's in editing phase right now. So. Oh, I bet it's absolutely yeah. amazing. I could show you the trailer before I leave if you want. I cool. love that. Yeah. I absolutely would love that. Abby Thomas is her name. You'll see her around Goshen, I'm sure, with her little one and uh, her family, uh, but also hear her play. And I'm grateful that you're playing in Goshen now. I hope you don't get too big that you don't play locally (laughs) anymore. I always want to be based here. I moved a lot, so I would love my daughter to grow up in one place. Yes, and Goshen is a great place for her to grow up. Abby Thomas, it's spelled A-B-B-I-E. 
Abby Thomas. Uh, just go online. You'll see all of her videos there, her wonderful background, and uh, try to get in and see if there's some more standing room only left at Ignition Garage in Goshen for Saturday, November 4th, 7.30 p.m. They're going to be videotaping this. I better wear something nice yeah. if I'm going to get up and bring, dance. Bring your dancing shoes. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Abby Thomas. You can go to her website as well. Same name, abbythomas.com. Thank you so much and all the very best to you. May you land your booking agent and talent manager so that you can just write the music and play for us all and uh, take care of your little baby (laughs) as well. All the very best to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So I would love to go out on one of your songs, Abby. I just loved, I saw one of your videos with, with the song called Try, your original song that actually was, you know, nominated. You were in the contest at the Tiny Desk concerts that they have on public radio. And, um, those are just so beautiful. And you actually taped it at Fables Bookstore in Goshen. So it looks like a Tiny Desk concert. It does. Yes. And I, and, but yet everybody on the planet listens to those and watches those videos. Would you mind doing Try for us? All right. I'm trying to write you a song To say I'm sorry But the only words that come to mind Are I hope you still be mine I feel so selfish But can you blame me? Maybe look at you That my dreams were coming true I know my life's been heavy You don't need to carry my burdens I'm not asking for a second chance For you to remember Our sweet romance But baby, baby, I would lie If I said I wouldn't try Trying to write you a song To bring you back to me Cause I feel badly For putting you in that situation But I wasn't ready To share my stories We were just putting trust between us And that time is I know my life's been heavy You don't need to carry my burdens I'm not asking for a second chance For you to remember Our sweet romance But baby, baby, I would lie If I said I wouldn't try Oh, I thought we had it
for a second chance for you to remember our sweet romance. But baby, baby, I would lie. But baby, baby, I would lie if I said I wouldn't try. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. There is nothing, I think, more exhilarating for me when it comes to uh, learning something new, but to find somebody who has already found a methodology that is not only sure and quick, but it's also very deep in its messaging, and it gives me something to ponder and learn. Well, Dr. Darnielle Jervie-Harmon has done just that. She has a wonderful book, Move to Millions, The Proven Framework to Become a Million-Dollar CEO with Grace and Ease Instead of Hustle and Grind. Dr. Darnielle, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to be here, Laura. Thank you. I for I just I love the title in itself. I wouldn't even have to go any further. I already feel inspired. <laughs> but no, it's it's very cool. Move to millions. So you have obviously done so with your career, yes. and you have written um, myriad ways in this book in which this has happened for you, and so much of it I could go on and on. But let's let's start. You have a bunch of different principles that you talk about. It's not just about the money. It's about, like you said, the grace and ease in getting there and some fundamental spiritual truths as well. You're you're a multifaceted person. Tell us a little bit about your background and career that led you to this wonderful Move to Millions uh, impact. Yeah. So thank you for all of that. I appreciate it. My career started like many people in corporate America. I worked for 12 years. I progressed from entry level to vice president. And I literally woke up one day and said, there's got to be more to life than this. And I think a lot of people say that, but I was actually willing to go and see if that was in fact the truth. And so I left my good job, fingers in air quotes, to start a Mary Kay cosmetics business. So I sold Mary Kay full time for two years. I got two pink Cadillacs and became a top sales director in my national area in my state. And then I realized that I had done the same thing I had done when I left my corporate job. I had traded one desk for another when I know that I was not called to sit behind someone else's desk. So then I started the first version of Incredible One Enterprises. And in our first iteration, I was a speaker. I was getting myself booked to speak. I was a motivational speaker, traveling around the country, speaking, living out of a suitcase. And that was good until it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that I needed to be able to sustain myself beyond the stage. And so I took and looked at consulting because I had my MBA and got a coaching certification so that I could help other business owners with their businesses and leveraging tools like speaking and live events in order to be able to make more money in in their businesses. And I also wanted to do away with this notion. I think many of us were raised to believe that you have to work hard for money, Mm -hmm. but it's actually not true. When you work hard, all you become is tired. 
financial success or any other kind of success is about alignment of thought. And so that's a big underlying principle in my book because you don't have to actually exert more in order to create and earn more. But none of us would believe that because we were all told that you have to work hard and there's no tree out back with money on it. And so for me, a lot of this work has been me trying it so that by the time I wrote the book, it wouldn't be theory. And I would be able to validate that you can use this methodology in order to get to the million dollar mark. We've only been really tracking our results over the last two years. And we've had 42 clients become million dollar CEOs in the last two years. And we've had hundreds of clients grow their businesses to multiple six years in the process. That's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful because um it's true. You can be a spiritual, deep thinker and loving person that also is successful in money and in getting money there that you don't see that as a um, kind of a an oxymoron, like to be rich and spiritual is is an OK thing. It's not something that you should try to stay away from. You know, a lot of us, you know, were raised thinking, you know, many years ago that, you know, to be super wealthy, you have to only focus on money and then it just makes you a wealthy person, but not a deep, caring person. And you you say that really the two have not much to do with each other. In fact, you can use your spirituality to deepen your ways of getting money. And to Absolutely. Work and when you become wealthy, use your money for good. Because the thing is this, you're going to, when you first start making a lot of money, no matter who you are, what you have been, you're going to buy the things. But eventually that gets old. Once you have the car and the houses and the shoes and the closet and the vacations, you look around to see who else can you help with what you've accomplished. And that's something that's become really important to me. I write in the book about my desire to stop setting revenue goals for my company and instead to start setting tithing goals. So I play this game with myself. How much money can I give away? Because I want to make the world better. And it's hard to be the change when you don't have any. So part of the reason of of having a million-dollar company and a million-dollar business being the floor and not the ceiling is so that you can enact change in your community, in your family, in your bloodline. Mm -hmm. And it opens up for many of us a way to be able to shift those generational curses and trajectories to really change the way that things go. I love that. I really do. And I've been thinking a lot about tithing lately and how it it truly seems to be when when put into practice, the wealthiest people do tithe and which means giving the first 10 percent of your income to God, really. How now for some people who say, well, but I don't belong to a church and I believe in God, but I believe in God as a divine energy more than an institution or a person, Mm -hmm. then how can you is giving to charity also tithing? I always wondered what the difference was. Yeah, I am of the belief, like it says in the Bible, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The principle of the tithe is about giving wherever you feel fed and inspired spiritually. So for me, that is not always a church. Sometimes it's an individual. If I feel blessed by an interaction, I may write them a tithe check and I'm totally okay with it. And I think that when you understand that, and that's one of the things I probably love the least about organized religion 
is that there are a lot of do's and don'ts that don't actually line up to what the word of God actually says. And I think that we've become accustomed to believing that our religious leaders have the only answer instead of seeking and understanding what the Bible says for ourselves. And so personally, I believe that anywhere you want to tithe, like when I think about First Timothy chapter six, which is often quoted, it, it's one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible for the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, that scripture itself is really talking about extreme greed, not loving money. And further down in the chapter, Paul and Timothy really give us the the recipe for when you have money. And the scripture says, when you have money, don't be high-minded or arrogant, do good deeds and remember the source of your wealth. So our clients, our business is not our source. The creator, our creator, our God is actually our source. And when you look at it that way, anytime you're helping anyone anywhere do anything, you are giving unto God because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so adopting that principle for myself, I tie 10% off the top line of my business to the causes, to the individuals, to the organizations that support me and feed me spiritually, period. Mm. And so sometimes that's the American Cancer Society. Sometimes it is someone's church. Sometimes it's an individual and I'm completely okay with it. And I know that at the end of the day, God is still getting the glory from me being willing to tithe and to give my resource to help someone else. Absolutely. I think it's an incredible practice. I like to think of it as, you know, when you have your hand open, you can receive and you can give with it. But if it's closed, you know, a lot tithing for a lot of people, it is a difficult concept because people are like, I can barely get by myself. But I have found when when I am willing to trust that everything will be there when I just when I obey that, whether it's mm-hmm. tithing, like you said, to a church or a person or an organization. Um, do you tithe on your net income or your gross income? The gross, the top line. Okay. I pay God before I pay Uncle Sam. I love that. I love that. This is just so powerful. And you have encouraged millions uh, across the, the country and probably the world with your your thinking. Are people as open as you would like them to be to these types of spiritual principles undergirding money making and business? I have found that to be so. Like, here's what I know. You know, like I, I said earlier, our money says in God we trust and and every politician ends their speech with in God bless America. So we are not, it is not lost on us that we live in a country that believes in God, right? And I think that for far too long, because of things like the separation of church and state, we felt like we needed to keep them separate, but we are not one dimensional beings. We are multifaceted and allowing our worlds to intertwine is actually what life is every single day. And so inviting people to open up space in their business for their spirituality has actually been a game changer for our clients. And it is something that has been widely attractive because we come across entrepreneurs all the time who don't really want to be disjointed. They don't want them to be separate, but they haven't found a blueprint on how to do it. The other thing that I think is important is that, you know, my work is not for Christians. I'm very clear on that. 
And I want to make sure anybody who might be listening, who might be like, well, you know what? I don't go to church. I don't, you know, like you said earlier, I believe in, in God in the sense of divine energy as the source and the creator of all things. And guess what? It works too. What I like to focus on are the principles and not what one religious text says or another. Because what I know is that if you follow the principles, then you will get the blessing. And so that has created an equalization around the world. I mean, I've worked with people in many different religions. I've worked with people who are agnostic or atheists that develop a healthy understanding and appreciation for God in the name God and how to relish that in their business so that they can see greater results than they've been able to see. I believe it's the secret sauce. It's part of the reason why inside of the the Move to Millions method, success mindset, which it runs through our four other pillars, it encompasses, it encompasses spiritual alignment. And it, it, I've done it that way on purpose because I feel like that's what's missing. When I look at the statistics around small business, 33 million small businesses in the United States, but only 4.2% of them actually cross seven figures, only 1.9% if you're looking at women and only 0.5% if you're looking at black women. Yeah. It's clearly not just strategy. We need something else and Move to Millions is the book that will give you that something else. And you live it, breathe it, and are all of it. And you've laid it out very beautifully for us in your wonderful book, Move to Millions, The Proven Framework to Become a Million-Dollar CEO with Grace and Ease Instead of Hustle and Grind. Move to Millions is a movement. It's also um, a wonderful way of thinking. Dr. Darnielle Jervie Harmon, Oh, I really, really am inspired by you. And I thank you for joining me today. I know you have other places to talk today, but <laughs> I could have I could have had you here for two hours and and been inspired. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been my pleasure. Find Move to Millions wherever fine books are sold. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Once again, here's Laura. Well, when it comes to either buying or adopting a pet from the shelter, there is something that has come to my attention that honestly, I had no idea it was a real thing, but it is. And I have a guest with me today who is going to tell us all about it. And for some people hearing that may own a particular breed of dog that we're going to be discussing today or family, you know, it's never to uh, ostracize or make anyone feel bad. It's just, I believe that knowledge is power and it's something important to know. My guest is Colin. Henstock, he's Investigations Project Manager for the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, better known as PETA. Colin, I was absolutely astounded by finding out that some of the breeds of dogs that we are so in love with in our society, French Bulldogs, English Bulldogs, Boston Terriers, Pugs, Boxers, the rest of them, the ones that seem to have breathing issues because of the way their noses are and such, that is something that is actually done on purpose in terms of having them bred that way so that they, so that they are innately when they're born, they have real problems with breathing. And it's something that we can know and mitigate. Um, tell, tell us about this. This is really alarming. Uh, yeah. Breathing impaired breeds, uh, otherwise known as bibs are dogs who are bred so that their snouts are shortened and pushed so far back against their skulls that there's not enough space to accommodate their normal 
anatomical features and that can cause them immense pain and suffering. So uh, those breeds that you just mentioned uh, have been bred that way for aesthetic purposes because people find that to be cute. But <laughs> I, I mean, is, it, that, is it really true that peop, people bred them that way? I, I think most people would think, oh, that's just an inherent feature of a dog like that, that, you know, it, there wasn't anything human that contributed to it. It was just it's just the way they are. And but I never thought of that. So why would anybody, first of all, and are we talking hundreds of years ago when these types of animals and dogs came into fashion? Um, somebody literally tried to breed somebody with a, s- a shorter snout. Why would they do that? First of all? Uh, well, it's, I would say probably dating back to the 1800s. If you looked at the pugs that were around then, you would see that their snouts are, are much longer than they are now. So it's, it's years of selective breeding since then to shorten their snouts generation by generation. Uh, a lot of it's through inbreeding of these dogs to, you know, breed the, the shortest snouts together again and again. And it's done because people find, uh, these traits to be cute. The, the big eyes and pugs, uh, and the, the short face, people find that to be cute. That even the eyes in these dogs, uh, the pugs, large eyes will have corneal issues more so than other dogs will. So it's, it's really intentionally deforming these dogs through years of selective breeding, breeding, uh, simply because people like the way that it looks. Well, that is shocking. I didn't know that. Um, but nonetheless, it is something that's apparently real. So when, when they're shorter this way and they have breathing issues, I mean, how bad is it? I mean, they live, do they live normal long lives like other dogs or is, are they more troublesome and maybe in the vet more because of this situation? Uh, well, they, they certainly do experience a lot of, of issues that require expensive veterinary treatment. Uh, in one study, one fifth of, uh, dog guardians who have breathing impaired breeds reported that their dog had undergone at least one surgery related to having the distorted facial features. And it can actually, you know, it, it, it in general terms, this will cause these dogs pain and suffering during their life. And in some cases, it will cause a, a very uh, premature death in some of these dogs. Uh, a study by the, the UK's Royal Veterinary College found that the average life expectancy of a French bulldog was only around four and a half years, which was the lowest of all the breeds that they studied. Wow. And that's tragic because not only because no one wants to lose their their beloved dog in, in four short years, but not to mention to buy these types of breeds are in the thousands of dollars normally. I mean, I, I know family members and friends that have paid thousands of dollars for a French bulldog and English bulldog and such. Yeah, this is a very big business. Uh, last year, uh, PETA documented a Virginia pet store uh, that had been selling bulldogs for $15,000 each. And an employee there uh, described that they did not come with any warranty uh, due to common health problems. Uh, he said that it's only a matter of time before they'll begin to experience sinus health issues. So you take into account that massive amount of money up front and then the additional 
thousands of dollars in vet bills that their their genetic problems will will rack up. Uh, it really is the the best option for dogs and for the the guardians who are adding dogs to their homes to choose to adopt an animal from a local shelter rather than buying an animal for thousands of dollars. Is there any way that, um, you know, dogs, people can find out about this or can it be ruled that they when they sell them in pet stores that they have to tell them these these facts and details? Uh, well, in other countries, uh, particularly in Europe, there have been restrictions imposed on on breeding dogs with short faces uh, like this in Germany and Austria and the Netherlands. And there's some activity with the U- UK uh, considering a, a ban on on breeding on uh, breeding breeding impaired dogs, uh, it it's beyond time uh, to fix the problem in the U.S. and ban their breeding and sale here. Uh, but the the overall solution is is simple. It's to stop buying these dogs. Uh, as as long as people are willing to spend thousands of dollars on these dogs. Breeders are, are going to continue to churn them out by the thousands. So really, you don't have to wait for the, you know, legislation or specific laws to ban their breeding. It, it really is just an individual choice that that you can do from this point forward. And that's to, to always adopt and never buy. You can learn more about this and a lot of the other issues that PETA takes on uh, by visiting PETA.org. That's P-E-T-A dot O-R-G. Thank you so very much. Colin Henstock, Investigations Project Manager for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA. In other words, go to PETA.org for more information on our conversation. Thank you so much for being on The Way Home. Thank you for having me on. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, Jim, happy anniversary from The Way Home. You've been the voice of this program for all four years. And so I just, I know so many people have come up to me and said, wow, love that guy's voice who does those good news stories at the end. And I call him the guru of good news. Thank you for all you've done for me. And long live the way home. May we do this for another four years and even four beyond that. And then some, yes. And uh, my love to all, all those who support the show, uh, Balance of Nature, all our listeners, I, I, my love to you. My hat's off to you, too. Thank you so much. I know you have a beautiful story today about a veteran. And because it's Veterans Day weekend, I'm so grateful that this is what you honed in on this weekend. Yes, as a matter of fact, and this story comes from a place, uh, speaking of balance of nature, it's the home of balance of nature. It is St. George, Utah, as a matter of fact. Yes, that's where it comes from. I was researching this and I said, wow, that's where balance of nature is. I thought I'd talk about that at the beginning. But that's not what this story is about. It's about a wonderful veteran who is part of the greatest generation. Now, there's not many of his kind around anymore. His name is Ken Brown. He is a World War II veteran. And he basically, uh, he just had a very special birthday, 100 as a matter of fact. He celebrated his centennial. So much so, it was so special. He and family from all over the country, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, got together at a local church in St. George. He lives there part-time, and they had a wonderful celebration. He got 200 cards of well wishes, the whole nine yards. But the thing is about him, he is about giving back. He always has been his entire life. His family feels that way. He said, you know, I want to uphold the legacy of the greatest generation, LJ, because he said it's about service, 
and patriotism. And he still does that to this day. 100 years strong. He's never wavered from that. Well, recently he got together with some of his buddies from the 5th Marine Division. And if you're a student of history, you may remember that was the division that served in World War II, was part of a key operation that led to the U.S. victory over Japan in World War II in 1945. And they had this big celebration in San Antonio. And a local reporter from St. George's newspaper asked the guy, what's the key to a long life for you? And he said this, keep having more birthdays. You think? Yeah, he's had quite a few of those. So it just, and again, I think really his, the goodness in this gentleman here, you know, even after he's taken off the uniform, I think was summed up best by his sister, Lois Brown, when she said this. He's always been the good one in the family. You know why? Because it's always about doing the right thing. May that continue. And I say to you, Ken, happy centennial and thank you for your ongoing service. God bless you, sir. Absolutely, 100%. To all of our veterans, once again, we thank you and we bless you and we salute you. And I also want to say thank you to Bob Small, who is has been my producer for the last four years on this program. And he's the man who taught me how to do radio 27 years ago this week. So wow. thank you about <laughs> Did you realize that, Bob? No, I had not. It's this week I came to uh, WGCH in Greenwich, Connecticut, and you were the poor guy (laughs) who was given the task of training Laura Smith on the mechanics and how to be on the air. And let me just say that I owe my career to you, and I'm forever grateful. And the fact that you are producing my show all these years later, it's just, it means the absolute world to me. So thank you for all you do. Radio is a very magical uh, career. It's a it's a it's a lot of very magical, wonderful, interesting, and fun people. It's a career I am. I just feel so blessed to have. And for all of you who listen to the way home every week, I thank you as well. Uh, we are nothing without you listening, and we send you love every single week here from all of us to all of you. And once again, happy Veterans Day, and long live the way home with Laura Smith. Thank you so much for being with us all this time. We'll catch you next time, next week on The Way Home. I'm Laura.